Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 21st, 2020, including this year's Call of Duty has been given a rather SEO-centric name, the Mafia Trilogy is offering varying degrees of definitive editions of all three games, Microsoft's Mixer streaming service seems to be in serious trouble, and more. I should at least mention the fact that this is technically episode 50 of the podcast, which is a big milestone for arbitrary reasons. I feel like every podcast you listen to always likes to make a big deal about, you know, 50, 100, 200, whatever. So here we are at episode 50. If you've been listening along since the beginning, I'm sorry, but here we are. I guess a bigger milestone would be in two weeks when we hit episode 52 because this is a weekly podcast therefore episode 52 indicates a full year's anniversary uh which is mind-blowing i can't believe it's been a year and i've still still only have this uh this mediocre podcast to show for my existence but nonetheless thank you to anyone who's ever listened to the show to all of you listening now and uh we won't get all all mushy and sentimental about this. We'll just move forward with another episode. As as another side note regarding the show, though, I would like to mention. You know, I I, I try. This is a one man show, so I feel like it's really important to try to keep it in a respectable like one hour timestamp, a time mark. You know, there's always going to be episodes where there's like inside Xbox or console reveals or things like that where you're going to have to go a little further into like the hour and a half episode range, you know, to cover all a really big substantial weeks uh, worth of news. But for the most part, I try to keep this podcast in the one hour range just because you probably don't want to listen to one guy just rant for more than an hour straight. So uh, I I think that 50 minute to an hour sweet spot would be perfect for this show. But I do apologize if it feels like things have been getting a little long as of late with my one hour and 20 minute run times or whatever it's been. But nonetheless, that is something I've been cognizant of and I will try to keep it more in a consistent bite size kind of uh, uh, show. So Thank you for your patience. Now, with all that bullshit said, we'll get into our comments, shoutouts, feedback from last week's episode. We got a couple here just to kick off with. I'll give you hundred dollars if you can guess the three people who commented. Hundred bucks. All right, fuck you. Yeah, it's a lethal migraine. We're starting with lethal migraine. His first comment here says the console currently to get some context. He's talking about you know previous generation consoles uh, or current generation consoles in regards to uh, the Assassin's Creed story from last week that the new Assassin's Creed game will run at 30 frames per second. He says the console current the consoles currently have x86 architecture. The next gen machines also are x86. Every game is scalable just like PC. There's absolutely no reason at all why Assassin's Creed should be anything less than. 60 fps on the xbox series x ubisoft is just being lazy uh so there's that that one man i don't i don't really know i that's a really fair point i understand that's the whole point about you know the way we've designed consoles both sony and microsoft seem to collectively have come to this decision i think it's you know from the feedback of developers that you know you gotta make the architecture of these consoles a little more in line with like PCs to make it easier to make games for multiple consoles to port games to scale games. I, so I, I know that was a big selling point or not selling point for the consumer, but it was a big convenience factor for the developers when the PS4 and Xbox One were announced. And obviously you want to carry that forward. So yeah, we 
that's a that's a fair point. You know, we've we've been doing this for a console generation plus now with the whole x86 architecture to make you know consoles more in line with PCs to make everything easier to scale and easier to port for. So I do I do get your reasoning there, but you got to remember this is just this is just early generation shit. I feel like this is stuff we always see where it's like the lowest common denominator somehow drags you know the higher skew down a little bit, even though technically or at least theoretically it is a little scalable again i you know i'm not a game developer it's really hard for me to sit here and tell you like why you know (laughs) ubisoft doesn't just make this series x version substantially you know prettier or have give it a better frame rate but unfortunately this is just the case and i i guess my thing is i can't quite explain to you why they're doing it but i can tell you that i'm not surprised by it and i guess that's why i kind of didn't give that story too much attention last week it's just because that's to me that's pretty par for the course when it comes to launch titles so again if if that's what they're still doing in five years then we got a problem but for the first you know for the first outing that's a cross-generational game on the new hardware whatever i'll give it a pass but, you know, that's the whole point of the Series X. Is it's a super powerful box, and developers have the options to invest in whatever aspects of the game they want to invest in. If they want to put, if they want to utilize the power of the Series X to make the game have a stupid nice resolution and then not put that power into the frame rate, then they have the opportunity to do so. They're the, they That's a thing they can do, even though I think more than, you know, most people would agree that focusing on the frame rate more than the resolution would be a much a much smarter and more favorable idea, but... That's uh, that's kind of common knowledge at this point. So me- Lethal Migraines, other other comment this week was in regards to my whole they should have done first-party games first and then a different Inside Xbox later on about third parties. And he goes, to answer your question on why third-party games first, very simple. You really answered your own question. After they show off all the first-party games they, and give you a reason to buy, they can just drop the price and start taking pre-orders. So I, I thought about this and it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you want to have that mic drop moment. You know, I get, I get that. But also, just to, to kind of overanalyze the situation, I do think this could be a situation where, you know, Microsoft obviously gained a lot of traction with the Series X by re- announcing their console first, showing their console first, revealing specs first, just being very open and transparent and, you know, engaging with the audience about their new console, whereas Sony's been, you know, the most quiet we've ever seen anyone in regards to a next generation console. It's hard to believe that PlayStation 5 is going to be out in like half a year or less and we still don't fucking know what the box looks like. Um, so they're both taking very different approaches, and it always almost makes me wonder if, you know, Microsoft is just to, like, make sure, like, make extra sure that they make the Xbox Series X have a bigger hype cycle and have the optical advantage leading up to the launch. It could be possible that the reason why Xbox is like, hey, we're going to show you the third-party games first because we're pretty confident by that by the time we finally show you the July presentation with Halo Infinite and console release date and all that kind of shit, we're pretty confident that by that point, it will be so close to the PS5's launch that Sony will have no choice but to have revealed the console by then. Hopefully, you know, that way, finally, people will know this is what the PS5 looks like. And that way, it gives Microsoft the advantage to go, okay, now we can just do our mic drop moment of here are the big games, here's the price, here's the release date, pre-orders, boom, because you already know what Sony's box looks like, and they can leverage that, the fact that that information's already out, to just double down on the excitement of their first-party lineup, their release date, their price, and all of that. Whereas, you know, if Microsoft comes out with a price now, a release date now, Halo Infinite gameplay now, and then in a month, Sony's like, here's our box, here's our price, here's our release date, here's our first-party lineup, then that kind of takes Microsoft's thunder a little bit. So, 
almost makes me wonder if this is like kind of an opportunity to buy a little more time to have the last laugh, so to speak. So I don't know that that's probably me just, you know, tinfoil hat overanalyzing and, and whatnot. But uh, I think that's a, a I don't know. It's a possible reason. I don't know. Or maybe they just really thought showing third far, third parties first was a great idea. Who, who fucking knows? Dead Captain James comes in here. If if you guess Dead Captain James is one of the three people who commented this week, you are now two for three. Uh, but he comes in with the, I think the Unreal demo, he's referring to the um, Epic Games Unreal Engine 5 demo from last week on PS5. He goes, I think the demo proved my point from last week. The demo was running at 1440p, 30 FPS, uh, but they cranked the detail way up. The textures and lighting in that demo were amazing, and I cannot wait to play a first-party Xbox game running on Unreal Engine 5. So l- let me make this clear, because maybe... Maybe what Dead Captain James is saying here is also kind of complimentary to what Lethal Migraine is saying. So, you know, when you have a new console to show, the thing you want to show more than frame rate to your audience is how pretty the games look. Obviously, Epic Games isn't going to show this demo at 120 FPS or whatever the fuck, even if they can make it run that way, because... Most people, you know, on their iPhones and their in their computers or whatever they're using to watch these demos on YouTube and Twitter, you know, these compressed shitty videos of this new of this new game, of this new technology, they're not going to see 30 60 120 fps but they are going to see wow look how pretty that game is so if you really focus your early development time on cranking up the visuals and cranking up you know the textures and all that bullshit instead of the frame rate you know maybe the game snobs might be like oh man i can't believe it's sub 60 fps that sucks you guys suck but to the more general consumer who doesn't give a shit about frame rate or really can't tell the difference between a good and a bad frame rate, they might look at it and just be like, oh my god, look how lifelike this new Unreal demo looks or this new Assassin's Creed game looks. And, you know, you're more likely to sell to a mass market if, if you know, Johnny Football, I don't give a shit about Xbox unless it's Madden and Call of Duty, walks by an Xbox Series X kiosk at, at Walmart because for some reason it's 2003 and they're still, like, set up video game kiosks in the store and he goes wow look how amazing this new series x looks i i don't my stupid brain can't comprehend what frame rate is but i sure know that this game looks a whole lot prettier than any game i've ever seen before and that's the kind of flashy showy thing you really want to double down on and focus on early in a generation because you want to push what makes this console different and i think the most eye grabby easy to convey message is look how much prettier games look now than they did on old hardware. And that's the reason to focus on the the super high textures and resolutions and things of that nature as opposed to the frame rates, which is, you know, much to the chagrin of the, uh, the, the, the hardcore gamer, as it were. So that's my two cents on all that. Our final comment, and if, and if you guessed our final commenter this week was my brother, then God damn it, you just got Yahtzee and I'm, I'm a fucking loser. But yeah, my brother comes in and he, he comments, Unreal 5 will hopefully help up the ante for next-gen games. But what sucks is that we won't see a lot of Unreal 5 games for a long time. The more triangles in the shape, the more detailed it is. Polygon count is a way to measure detail. Remember, N64 and PS1 games looked all blocky and weird. I'm calling you out, Final Fantasy VII. That's how polygons and 3D games look like. Okay, so, well, I guess all the comments were about this one story from last week, but but there you go, a little bit of, le- a, a little lesson in how, in how art assets work in video games. So while that's interesting, again, the point here is that 
yeah, Unreal Five for as pretty as it is, this isn't something we're probably going to be seeing a whole lot of for a little for a little while. Remember that a lot of the games. I think I misspoke last week. Actually, I think I said that uh, Hellblade Two. No one called me out on it, but I think I slipped up and said Hellblade Two would be an Unreal Engine Five game. That's not true. That game is being made in Unreal Engine Four. Not many games have been made in Unreal Engine Five yet, uh, or at least not that we know of. I'm sure we'll get some announcements in the next few months from maybe some some uh 2021 2022 games running in unreal 5 but for the most part you know our launch lineup is going to consist of games that were built on unreal engine 4 or equivalent engines you know so even though this was a super impressive engine my brother does have a good point like this is probably something we're not going to be seeing too much of for for a couple years at least because this this technology probably isn't you know out and in the hands of mass developers so don't don't expect a whole lot of this maybe maybe you know epic games will use it we know epic games is going to use it to bring fortnite over to next gen consoles but don't expect too much of it otherwise for a little while at least so that's going to do it for our comments shout outs whatever from the last week's episode as always guys don't don't forget don't be shy reply and also just rate my goddamn show on itunes just go ahead and do it if you have constructive feedback uh find me on social media and direct message that to me, email it to me, keep that in private, but I want my public appearance to be very positive. So just leave, leave blindly, um, encouraging five-star reviews and, and nothing less, please. And thank you. Uh, now we will talk about what I've been playing, but of course, before we can talk about what I've been playing, I've got to tell you about what I've been eating. And so I've been trying to act all cool on the podcast, really act like I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to the restaurants. I'm going to go spread my COVID like my seed and, 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 and the world is my oyster, so to speak. But the, the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm a little conflicted on whether or not I should be going out unless absolutely necessary. And if you're, if you're feeling conflicted, I think it's a pretty good indicator that maybe you're just not ready. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not one of those, those internet people right now who's trying to cyber bully the fuck out of everyone to stay at home, which I've been seeing, unfortunately way too much of, but for myself, I just don't think now is the time for me to be going out. I, I thought I would actually be ready by now, but I'm, I'm just not ready. I, I, what I'm telling you high school girlfriend is I'm just not ready. And that might be an embarrassing thing to admit, but I got to be honest with myself and where I'm at in my life right now. And I'm just not ready. So with that said, I've been uh, I've been engaging in some chain restaurant food replicas. You know, I've been I told you last week I found the Rainforest Cafe replica recipes. I made the Rasta pasta. You know what I did this week? I made it again. And I and I did it even better than last time. I added some flair to it. I didn't I didn't go too light on the garlic. I made it just right. I made my girlfriend made some focaccia bread. It was super legit. We had a rainforest cafe uh, night at home part two, and it was wonderful. Um, and I found this website that just basically has a collection of of knockoff recipes of just popular dishes from all the famous chain restaurants you can think of. Everything from like Chick Fil A, McDonald's, Olive Garden, whatever kind of generic chain restaurant you can think of they try to you know mimic some popular recipes from those restaurants so let me know what you think if are you interested in this i will put i'll put uh, links in the description on youtube if you want some links to the rasta pasta or maybe you want to know how to make your own chilies cheeseburger sliders you know um just let me know if that's something you're interested in but yeah that's that's where i've been as far as eating and food goes an additional shout out to ben and jerry's that shit's been on sale at Publix this week. You probably only know what Publix is if you live in the Southeast United States. But 
Uh, yeah, Ben and Jerry's ice cream has been on sale. That's been a great thing for me. Um, but now we'll get into what I've been playing. Devil May Cry 5. I didn't mention this last week, but I started playing Devil May Cry 5. I poured through it in like one and a half days. It was a lot of fun. I just played it on an easy setting. I was like, ah, I got to figure out what one of these things all about. I've been enjoying Capcom lately. Devil May Cry 5. Two thumbs up on this guy. Now, keep in mind, I've never played a game in this series before, and I know a lot of people were, like, kind of divided on the Ninja Theory reboot one that they made a few years ago, and that Devil May Cry 5 is supposed to be, like, the return to form from the traditional developer and the original creators and whatnot. So just keep in mind, I have no real context for how the other games played, how good of a sequel this is, or how, you know, not good it is. I just, looking up some kind of feedback from this game, it seems like there's a lot of people like me who just thought this game was super badass and there's a lot of people who felt like it fell short of the dmc mark so i don't i don't really know what the general consensus is i guess nor should i care uh but i enjoyed it a, a, a shitload I, I understand the game's supposed to be mildly campy and extremely over the top and stylized with its action and it's kind of uh, c- cinematics in, in storytelling and things like that and goddamn is it oh boy this uh this game is super cool i mean the the opening and intro scenes and the credit scenes and the endings and everything i won't spoil anything but goddamn is it's just it's so like it's that kind of like super clever smart stylized dumb action that just makes you like smirk like a dumbass you know and just like oh oh, oh like laugh like a monkey just like oh this is cool dumb action fun me boy that kind of thing and it's just a really fun and unique game i've never really experienced anything quite like it it's um equal parts just like campy super actiony and super japanese but all in the best ways and from a gameplay perspective the combat is like extraordinarily complex in terms of like the amount of mechanics and and moves you can do but it's never to the point where it's like overwhelming and you don't feel like you have a concept of what your options are there are three players all of them completely control different depending on what level you're on depends on who you play as and it's just a super super fun game game pass of course so if you haven't tried that out definitely recommend it as far as story goes yeah it's probably one of those games where you're supposed to play this one before you play that one you know kind of in a sequential order but i've trying i've been trying to be a big proponent lately uh, in these later days of my of my life where i try not to let you know the fact that oh i haven't played the one that came before this before you know kind of get in the way because what i what you realize a lot is you go oh i want to play game x but i haven't played the first two and then the first two don't look as good as the third one and so you try to force yourself to go back and play number one but number one's kind of boring doesn't age well and then you lose interest and you never even play three which is the one you originally wanted to play in the first place i'm trying to get away from that and just be like hey devil may cry five probably not going to understand the story to the fullest probably not going to appreciate to the fullest but five is the one that looks fun five is the one i want to play I'm playing video games to enjoy them, so I'm just going to go ahead and play five and and just say fuck it to uh, getting full context for the story. And I'm glad I did because I didn't want to go play Devil May Cry 1 on the PlayStation 2, you know? I wanted to play DMC5 on Game Pass, and I'm glad I did. Great, Great game. All right, so Control is the second game I've been playing this week. Finally, this is game number five out of five, if you'll remember, early in the year. I did a whole episode of, instead of like a Game of the Year show for 2019, I did a whole, these are the top five games I wanted to play last year that I didn't get around to. Well, guess what? Control is game number 505. It is the last game of those five games that I haven't played to uh, pl- played through since, since doing that episode, and I'm kind of proud of myself for actually getting through these games so fast, especially considering I knocked out Red Dead Redemption 2 in like no time at all. But yeah, I've been, uh, I've been doing good with working on that backlog. COVID certainly helps with that, um, but... Yeah, I'm finally playing Control. It's the game of those five. It's the one of those five games I wanted to play that I, that I've been in my backlog that I wanted to play the most. 
And I'm a little little hesitant to say what I'm about to say because I'm only about three or four hours into it, but it was on sale this week, so I just I jumped the gun. I finally downloaded it and uh, super excited to get in, but quickly realized control is not as good as I wanted it to be. And I'm hoping that, you know, by the time I make it to the end of the game, my opinion changes quite a bit in, for, for the better. But I guess a little context to this game, I was really excited about it because obviously, if you know anything about this game, it came out last fall, came out like August, September-ish last year. Um, and it was kind of a serendipitous time for me because I had just graduated school. I graduated school last spring, and one of the last classes I took before graduation was uh, this class on, like, climate fiction. I'm an English major, so we studied bullshit like that instead of, you know, things that actually make make you a smarter person. So we were studying climate fiction. We were reading all these really interesting books, but then we kind of got into, like, this sub-unit about, like like weird fiction and then like new weird which is a relatively new genre in the literary world uh and we read uh, vandermeer's annihilation which you may be familiar it was recently made into a movie a couple years ago um so that's probably the most like popular example of that genre i can think of but it's just it's a really weird genre it's like a little bit horror a little bit supernatural and it's uh it's just an interesting interesting genre that I'll be honest I can't wrap my brain around to save my life I enjoyed studying it I enjoyed reading Annihilation and I'm really looked forward to this game knowing that Control was Remedy's attempt at kind of bringing the genre of the new weird into like the games universe or into the into the medium of video games so I was actually really excited and intrigued that this was a thing you know it was kind of that crossing over of my pretentious liberal college experience with my hobby and passion for video games and kind of getting to I was really excited to like play this game it's one of my favorite developers it's a new genre I've been interested in I wanted to gnaw on the the themes of the game and explore the world and kind of try to dissect what's happening here but I'll be honest control is like in some ways, it is kind of a good example of what this genre is all about because it's very confusing. It's very like, what? Why is this happening? Why is this world like this? Why is this person suddenly just not phased by this, you know, transdimensional bullshit happening and all this crap? And I can't explain what this is. It's just, it's a lot of theorizing. It's like taking the idea of Inception and turning it up to 11, you know, which I, in theory I'm cool with, but in this game it's it's kind of frustrating because something will happen in the game and I'll want to be like in awe by it and to ex- enjoy it and then think about it and continue playing the game to, you know, try and connect dots and figure out what's going on. But the game kind of slows itself down because it does that like Rise of the Tomb Raider half step to open world thing where it's like, Basically, you play in this massive complex, this massive building, and it's it's a pretty big, you know, environment to explore. It's that kind of like half-assed Metroidvania thing where it's like, as you progress through the game, you unlock more parts of this massive facility that you get to explore. Uh, but there's a lot of backtracking. There's a lot of oh, where do I go next? I guess I'll just explore on the map and oh, they can't go through this door until I've done this thing and I uh, don't have this ability. I can't really go there yet. And it's a lot of that like pace breaking shit where in a game like this with a story like this, I want the pacing to be smooth and consistent so I can try to wrap my brain around the already complex story. But in Control, you know, the pacing is so choppy 
that I can't even wrap my brain around the what the story is trying to do because I'm just so frustrated at trying to figure out how to work my way around the world in the game. And honestly, I think you can make a good argument as to why that's complementary to the story. I think it's actually extremely intentional and extremely complementary to the story. But for someone with my tiny brain and my lack of patience, it just made me frustrated. So I, I do plan on beating the game. I absolutely will, in fact. I, I still love Remedy. I still think the game is fun. The shooting is really fun. The the force-like mechanics are awesome. The game plays really well. And there are some things about the story that I'm interested to find out how it goes. So I'm not trying to say it's a bad game, bad game by any means. But I expected that when I finally pressed start and control, I would be like grabbed you know from start to finish but i'm finding myself not entirely grabbed uh, which is why i actually played a couple other games this week i played a little bit of apex legends you know season five started so i I figured it'd be nice to have that palate cleanser of like i'm playing this game that's very engaged and i'm playing this other game that's very like couch potato sit back and unplug your brain so uh, apex has been good for that and then i've also been playing some car mechanic simulator there was a big racing or car game sale on xbox this week so i downloaded car mechanic simulator and it's worth it it's awesome i've I've always wanted to try like one of these really nerdy simulator games and i'm glad i did this game is so cool you just you like go to junkyards and grab scrapped up cars and go on the computer and look up the parts you need to fix it and just take shit apart and put it back together and flip cars for money and just keep buying cooler and newer cars and you take them out to the track and you drive them and you just work on them it's a very nerdy uh therapeutic and just relaxing game that i'm actually enjoying quite a bit but yeah i've been playing that as well so a nice little eclectic mix of games um but that is what i've been playing so i guess i've been playing more games than i thought i was so all of that plus some more hot wheels shit on my phone because i'm seven that is it for this week's episode just kidding we also have nudes so now we will finally jump into the news segment All right, so I guess a not really news story. I don't want to get into this too much because it's kind of one of those obnoxious like media outlets report on a tweet from someone who works in the video games industry kind of things where it's kind of annoying. But Cliff Blazinski, the guy, you know, used to be at Epic Games, the guy who's credited with the Gears of War series, a a big a big guy uh, behind the Gears of War franchise. Xbox gamers know him. Uh, tweeted out basically that his his that game he made before he kind of stepped away from gaming a few years ago, that game Lawbreakers, that kind of went on PS4 and really bombed that hero shooter. He said he agreed that the biggest mistake was not making that an Xbox game. So I just thought that's pretty cool to point out that Homeboy is like, yo, I should have... My audience was on Xbox. People knew me and liked me from my Gears of War shit. Should have stayed with Xbox. Maybe my game would have done better. I thought that was a, I thought it was just cool to see him, you know, kind of be like, yo, I'm going to take responsibility for why my game didn't succeed. Whether or not that would have actually made a difference, I don't know. But yeah, just, I thought that was cool that he kind of owned up to that in the failure of that game, which is really quite unfortunate. You know, I looked into Lawbreakers a little more. There's a handful of times I looked at that game. I was like, do I want to play this game? It looks so good, but I don't want to play my PS4. And that's why I ultimately never played it. But a shout out to Cliffy B for just being a, um, just being a, a transparent and responsibility taken adult about uh, that situation. I don't know. Maybe he'll come back. Maybe he'll go to the coalition one day and work on gears. Anyway, but let's get into some actual news stories. So our first one this week from IGN in Exile Entertainment, a California-based video game developer funded by Brian Fargo, uh, of course, and now uh, Xbox-owned studio, confirmed that its next project after the upcoming Wasteland 3 will be a triple A 
RPG developed using Unreal Engine 5. That's really exciting. Considering NXL is now a Microsoft first-party studio, this means the Series X will indeed have first-party games developed using Epic's big game engine that we learned about last week. In response to questions from fans on Twitter, NXL Entertainment confirmed that its next video game project will indeed be using Unreal Engine 5, according to studio boss Brian Fargo, and he also confirmed that it will be a next-generation RPG. Unreal Engine 5 is Epic Games' uh, new game engine that we learned about the other week. It was shown on PS5. Two major features of the engine are its technologies called Lumen and Nanite. Lumen is a universally lighting universal lighting system that makes it easier for developers to create realistic lighting effects, while Nanite lets developers import movie-quality digital assets directly into their games. So I guess, I mean, the real big news here is, first of all, we have a, a glimpse of what Exile is going to be working on next. The fact that it's an RPG shouldn't shock us, but it is, I, I guess the big news here is that we know their next game is an RPG and we know it's coming on Unreal Engine 5. But to me, the biggest news here is that it's a AAA game, which, I mean, sounds stupid to be like, oh, look at that. But you think about like Undead Labs, a studio that Microsoft owns that makes the State of Decay games. And it's like, yeah, those are first-party Xbox games, but they feel very like double A. But in Exile Entertainment, these guys are these guys are veterans, you know, and you want to see them take a big budget from a company like Microsoft and really go to town on making something big and meaty and showy. And they haven't been able to do something like that in a long time. And I think it's really cool that this basically the story reads to me as now that we have you know Daddy's money, now that we have that Microsoft green we're gonna finally turn things around and make a massive game you know it's not gonna be another wasteland no disrespect to wasteland but we're gonna make you know a big showy e3 worthy like boom rpg game that people are gonna have to talk about and that's kind of how i'm reading it um maybe i'm reading into it a little too much but you know they're gonna make it an unreal engine 5 so we know it's gonna be a pretty flashy very next gen looking game and it's a triple a so and it's rpg which is right in their wheelhouse of development so I don't know, a little glimpse of what they're working on. This could potentially be something we see in July during the first party roundup inside Xbox. I don't suspect, you know, Wasteland 3 is an all-hands-on-deck kind of project, especially at this point where it's about to come out. I'm not sure, but I just, I feel like whatever their next project is, it's probably it's probably been in development for a while now. Maybe it's not coming out in the next six months or a year, but I feel like they're probably far along enough where they can either tease it this year or tease it later this year or sometime you know in the next eight months or so so i i'm excited to see if this is something we learn about soon in exile entertainment is one of those studios where i'm like i'm not you know shaking my shaking waiting to play wasteland 3 but i'm extremely intrigued by what this studio can do and what they will do once they really make a first party triple a game we have a handful of these studios we're waiting for this right you know double fine obsidian we're waiting for them to you know, stop working on, you know, get the project that they were working on before Microsoft bought them out into the wild so we can see what they do when they go all hands on deck, big money, Xbox exclusive. And this is one of those like first ones we're going to see. So I'm really excited to see what in exiles approaches with the big money, big team, big game. And uh, that's a little that's our first little tease on it. Our next story here is about everyone's favorites, about the Call of Duty. Uh, so 2020 is a year, and like all years, there's a new Call of Duty expected around sometime in the fall. This year's Call of Duty, according to some reports from the rather reliable Eurogamer, say that the game will be titled Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Keep in mind that Call of Duty runs on a three-year development cycle across three core studios, as well as a handful of support studios. 2020 was originally set to be a Sledgehammer Games year, uh, with their last efforts in the franchise being 
Legends, Call of Duty World War II. However, according to some inside murmurings, Treyarch has been bumped up a year and has to, and has taken control uh, of the project that Sledgehammer and Raven were working on uh, together for about a year or so development. So, a lot to take in here. So, let me explain the, first of all, the development cycle. I'm sure a lot of people actually know this just because Call of Duty is such a massive franchise, but I know a lot of more casual people don't know this, but if you're a casual gamer, you're probably not listening to the this podcast because I literally use terms like uh, lumen and nanite to describe things. So, I, so anyway, obviously, you know the OG Call of Duty studios, as far as Call of Duty as we know it these days, you know the Modern Warfare and Beyond days. It was it was Infinity Ward who uh, Infinity Ward and Treyarch. Treyarch is the Black Ops guys, and Infinity Ward is the Modern Warfare guys. Uh, and then in 2014, with the addition of Sledgehammer, they uh, started working on Advanced Warfare. Or they released Advanced Warfare, and that was the kind of the creation of the modern three studio mix. And so it's every year. It's you know Infinity Ward takes a year, then then Sledgehammer, then Treyarch. Infinity Ward, Sledgehammer, Treyarch, and it kind of does that rotation. So last year was Infinity Ward with that Modern Warfare reboot, and this year was supposed to be Sledgehammer with whatever their next game is following up World War II. Um, but for whatever reason. You know, they were they got they got about or Sledgehammer got about a year into development with Raven, who does a lot of co-development on these games. And then the internal rumors actually for a while now have been that Treyarch was kind of told by Activision, hey, you're taking over this project from Sledgehammer. We need you to bump up a year and you're actually going in 2020 instead of 2021, which would normally be Treyarch's next turn to go. Um, So this is just a whole weird situation in and of itself. So now Treyarch has less time to for you know they've been they've been cut down by a year for their three-year development cycle and they've inherited a project that they didn't start that they weren't envisioning and working on originally and and now it's like this whole thing so a lot of the rumors have been you know that sledgehammer was working on some like cold war game and that they were having some issues with it so they threw you know their a team which is treyarch on on the project and said hey that's kind of similar to the black ops thing so you guys go ahead and turn this into a black ops game and whatever so this is just a whole kind of a messy thing this is the second time now we've seen call of duty have something of a messy kind of development in recent history and both times now it's involved treyarch where you know treyarch had the messy um issue with black ops 4 a few years ago where they had a a campaign for the game originally but it just wasn't really panning out so they had to scrap it and they just focused on multiplayer zombies and the battle royale mode um and now we're seeing Treyarch kind of in another sticky situation where it's like they're inheriting this project that was having some issues from sledgehammer and raven and now they're having to kind of patch together cobble together you know a, a game out of it and make presumably this Black Ops Cold War game, which, by the way, of course, everyone's got to make fun of the name. It's Call of Duty colon Black Ops, like normal, but then Cold War is just tacked on after Black Ops. So it's Black Ops Cold War, no colon there. So just a, a fun name, um, very SEO-driven name. It's it's basically their way of saying, hey, this is a, uh, a Cold War-era Call of Duty game, and we're just going to tie it into the Black Ops universe because Black Ops sells extraordinarily well. It is the best-selling Call of Duty brand, and we want that sweet uh, name cache and that sweet that sweet SEO and that that sweet shutter that that stuff that Activision's all about. So, uh, no surprise there, but that that they're gonna try to tack on the Black Ops name to whatever Treyarch's working on because that's kind of apparently all they're ever gonna do. We we thought for a while there, you know, especially after Black Ops Three, we said surely Treyarch is gonna try to do something different now but nope they just made black ops 4 and now they're making black ops cold war and all this other stuff uh, but um I'm, I'm not trying to be down on this it's just a 
it's a little concerning. You know, most Call of Duty games come out, I'll be honest. Call of Duty is a franchise that gets a lot of shit from gamers, but it's a pretty solid game, like, every time, you know? You don't have to like Call of Duty. I understand it's not the most innovative game. It's it's very redundant, and they just keep coming out one after another after another. But, you know, for all that shit that gamers like to give Call of Duty, it's always a pretty solid game. It plays very well. It controls very well. It runs very well. It's a it's a solid game, you know, for better or for worse, you know? You don't have to like the multiplayer. You don't have to like this, the campaign, but... It is a solid made game, you know. That's why it consistently does so well. Is because it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's old reliable at this point, you know. Uh, I just think it's really interesting to see what this means for Sledgehammer. Does this mean Sledgehammer and Raven are going next year uh, with a new project, or what does that mean for them? And how does this affect Infinity Ward? Will Infinity Ward still be on their traditional three-year cycle? Will they be unaffected as they work on presumably Modern Warfare Two, or we know it's a Modern Warfare Two game? rather than, you know, a sequel to the 2019 Modern Warfare. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Of course, keep in mind, Call of Duty games are almost always revealed by April or May, so we're actually overdue for a proper announcement of this game. I suspect this will be one of those summer game whatever, every website publisher, whoever, has their own summer E3 digital replacement show, so expect this to be revealed at one of those shows. I Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the new Call of Duty game is revealed if it's teased a week before, like, whenever Sony decides to finally do their fucking PlayStation event, I wouldn't be surprised if they do, like, a Call of Duty teaser one week, and then the next week, Sony does their proper reveal for PS5, and then we see a, a closer look at Black Ops Cold War, so I, I assume it's imminent. Sometime this summer, at least, we'll see it, because the game's gonna be out in October and November anyway, but... Interesting stuff coming out of Activision in the realm of Call of Duty. Our next story here is that after last week, last week's after last week's tease of the Mafia trilogy, Mafia 2 Definitive Edition launched on Xbox One. While not remade, this remaster features uh, visual improvements in the form of 4K display and, uh, and boosted resolution. The game can be purchased now for 30 bucks, or for 60 dollars, players can purchase the Mafia trilogy, which features Mafia 1, 3, and 2 which is already out. Uh, the trilogy will launch on August 28th and the definitive edition of the first and the definitive edition of the first three of uh, the first title will be more in line with a traditional remake being built from the ground up, all that kind of jazz and being all pretty and modern looking mafia three. On the other hand, will just be a regular definitive edition. Since the game is only a few years old, it will include all the post-release content and just have it all in one package. So, let me give you the breakdown of this because that's a little confusing. Mafia 2 is out now. You can buy it on its own or you can wait till August 28th and buy the whole bundle for 60 bucks with 1, 2, and 3. 1, since it's such an old game, is going to be a remake from the ground up, really impressive looking modern game. Mafia 2, since it's like old but not too old, it's like an early 360 game, is going to be visually upgraded. It's a definitive edition, it's rendered in 4K and has improved lighting and it's HD now, but it's not a made from the ground up remake. And then Mafia 3, since it's such a new game, it only came out two or three years ago, is just going to be a re-release with like a Game of the Year edition with all the extra content. So it's a little messy and they're releasing it in a weird order. This is a very unusual thing. My guess is they did Mafia 2 first because one, you know, Mafia 1 Definitive Edition or Remake needs a little more time in the oven and they want to get one of these out. So they went with Mafia 2 because it's probably the most popular in the series. I think it's probably the one that people remember the most fondly. Also, it's probably the easiest one of the three to get out because it's just or it's it's not the easiest one, but it's easier than the first one because it's just a 4K upgraded whatever version of it. It's not a built from the ground up remake. And then three, it's uh, it's old, but not as 
old as one, and then it's more modern, but not as modern as Mafia 3. So it kind of hits that sweet spot of, like, you're probably interested in a remake of Mafia 2 because it's been a while, but it hasn't been too long. Whereas, you know, if they start with Mafia 3 Game of the Year Edition or something like that, it'd be like, all right, you just played this one. So I understand this kind of backwards thinking that led them to releasing Mafia 2 first, but I feel like they kind of should have just waited for all three to be ready and just done them in one felt swoop but yeah also if you want to get just the first mafia game the remake of just the first mafia game when that comes out in august you'll be able to get that for 40 dollars standalone so you can get mafia 2 standalone for 30 mafia 1 remake standalone for 40 or the whole trilogy for 60 i don't know if you'll be able to get mafia 3 standalone for 30 or 40 dollars they didn't really announce that but it's a it's a little bit of a messy release kind of schedule and, and kind of roadmap for this uh, for this franchise. But nonetheless, uh, Mafia fans should be excited that they can play them in the definitive order of 2-1-3. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that or go ahead and just start playing Mafia 2 if that's what you want to do. This is a series I've never really played, but I've always been kind of interested in it. I always confuse it with the Godfather game that came out around the same time as Mafia 2. Either way, just whatever. But that's a that's that's a little fun, a little bit of a funny one. Just kind of further playing with that concept of like, what the hell is a remake? Like, like it makes sense to remake Mafia One. I get it. Mafia Two Definitive Edition. All right, I get it. But like, you're gonna remake one and just and just upgrade the other one, and then and then the third one. It's like, all right, you're just putting the third one in there now. That one's not even. This really should just be a, a collection of one and two. You don't even need to put three in there, but whatever. I guess I can't really speak though, because the Master Chief Collection does have a like from the ground up remake of Halo one and two, and then just does a HD port of Halo three, or it's already an HD game, just a upraised port of Halo three and four. So I guess there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. We've ne- it's not like we've never seen this before, but. Just a very unusual, especially the way they're releasing them in, in that order. Um, but nonetheless, we'll just move on because th- that, that story is confusing me. Next up, we got Super Super Lucky's Tale, a game that was originally a VR title and then brought over to the Xbox One as a console exclusive. It's making a comeback in the form of new Super Lucky's Tale. Uh, the game is a port of the Switch version of the game that came out recently and features a proper 3D camera so that you can completely control it rather than that kind of blocky camera. Uh, it has new story content, new missions and collectibles and more. Uh, developer Playful Studio says that the game will be out soon, although no specific release date was given. To explain why the game is being released as a separate, entirely new entry in the franchise rather than an upgrade or pre- to the pre-existing entry super lucky's tale uh, playful studios took to twitter to say the following quote we rebuilt the game from the ground up new levels expanded story full uh, fully rotatable can- camera tighter controls and improvements to nearly every other aspect of the game the tweet reads so, uh, so essentially it's a new game so they're kind of treating it like a new release but I- i'm a little confused by this as well i can't really tell if it's if it's like additional story content to the base game or if they reworked the story content or what, but it has a modern control or a camera setup where you can kind of fully control it, improve controls, whatever. If you haven't played Super Lucky's Tale, this is a game I played a couple months ago. It's fun. It's a it's one of those games if you're like a a massive 3D platformer fan like myself, I think you'll find a lot to enjoy. It's not groundbreaking. It doesn't uh, it doesn't like tread new ground by any means, but it is still super fun. It's a you know it's a little like paint by numbers. It's a little uh, basic so to speak, but I still had a lot of fun with it for like the six or seven hours it took me to play through it. Yeah, it's 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 really it's one of those games. If you're a massive 3D platformer fan, this is a you should definitely play it just because there aren't a lot of games in this genre anyway. It's like Super Lucky's Tale, A Hat in Time, 
Mario Odyssey. Those are like the most recent games in that genre I can really think of, you know. But yeah, definitely definitely worth your time. It seems like all these updates make the game even better. So you can have a better experience with the game than the one I had a few months ago. Um, as for myself, this isn't something I'm interested in playing. I, I can't believe developer Playful Studios is still working on this one game. I don't know how it's doing well enough or selling well enough or how they're making enough money off of it to keep, you know, going to the well of this one game and different iterations of it over and over again from VR to Xbox console exclusive to Switch port to Xbox and PlayStation port of Switch port. I mean, it it is a Game Pass game, so hopefully between that first party money, that Game Pass money and that Switch money, they're they're making enough money on this game. And also like I said, it's just it's just one of those games in a genre that is surprisingly just not really being catered to these days so i'm sure it's just hungry 3d platformer fans are buying what's out there and what's out there isn't much it's it's super lucky's tale so i guess uh super lucky's tale is like the gta 5 of 3d platformers where people just keep buying multiple copies of it and that's that's how they're able to just keep remaking this game i suppose but uh, that's something to look forward to if you if you are like me and you like the 3D platformers. If you don't like the 3D platformers, which I, I guess no one does because they aren't really made anymore, then uh, then we will move on to our next story. I also forgot to mention Ukulele. That's kind of a modern 3D platformer that I failed to mention. Next up, coming from Windows Central, we got Respawn is expanding its reach by opening a new studio in Vancouver, Canada to focus entirely on Apex Legends. This announcement was confirmed by Respawn CEO O. Dusty Welch to GamesIndustry.biz to coincide with the studio's 10th anniversary, which is mind-blowing that this studio is 10 years old now. Uh, The team over at Respawn Vancouver, conveniently located near EA's Vancouver campus, uh, will be led by Head of Operation Henry Lee and Team Director Stephen Ferreira. Uh, Lee spoke about how excited he was for the move. He says, quote, when you look at Vancouver, it's one of our it's one of EA's biggest studio locations and Vancouver is full of talented people uh, in the games industry. So there is a natural fit for with Steven coming on board uh, with the core team and really establishing that foundation. Now we're just adding to the missing. Now we're just adding the missing piece to the puzzle. This is a great opportunity, not just for Vancouver studio to bring some new creative challenges and uh, to people's already to people already there, but it's also uh, to the local industry in terms of of being part of the Apex Legends roadmap. So we're very excited about bringing this to Vancouver and hopefully uh, Greater Canada as well because we can tap into much more of the talent base broadly. It's Vancouver audience over at Respawn will be their second location in addition to the studio in California, led by Vince Zampella, of course, who uh, also became the head of DICE LA back in the beginning of the year. So he's now kind of all over the place uh, with another studio to work on Apex Legends to take off the pressure of California's office. It should allow them to dedicate more time and resources to other projects. So this studio, it's important to know, they kind of started up in 2019, but Respawn's been hiring for them for several months. Now they're kind of like officially opening up shop and announcing them as a studio with the hopes of reaching about 80 employees. So this is a this is a crazy one. This is a lot to, there's a lot to digest here because there's so much happening with Respawn. I f- first of all, it feels like feels like EA shut down so many good studios, what with like Visceral and all, that they, they've just come to this point where like, oh shit, Respawn is the only good studio we have left. Let's just, uh, let's just try to put them in a cloning machine and just make a bunch of Respawns to make up for all the good studios we've shuttered in recent years. Um, so I don't know if that's what's happening here, but it's really weird to see Respawn go from like, hey, we're splitting off from Infinity Ward and Activision. We're starting a new studio. We're called Respawn. We don't want to be held down by Activision. And then they're like, all right, we're jumping in bed with EA, which is just the other version of Activision. And we're going to make our, our game called Titanfall, which is like cooler Call of Duty. 
and then uh, we're just going to expand and eventually get bought out by these guys and turn into Infinity Ward again, kind of. It, that's kind of how I see Respawn. And I don't mean that in, in a bad way by any means. Respawn is one of my favorite modern-day studios. It's 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 one of the video game studios I have the most respect for these days. Vince Zampella, one of my, one of my most respected video game developers, studio guys, whatever – Guys in the games industry, I, I have a great deal of respect for Vince Zampella. Um, I love, love, love the Titanfall games. I don't give a shit about Battle Royale games, but you you heard me at the top. I play Apex Legends still this day because it's just that fun. It's just a big a big exception to the, the rule in that genre. Um, I thought Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order was pretty good. Um, it's, it's completely out of their wheelhouse, and they still did a great job with it. So I have nothing but respect for Respawn, but... This is why, you know, last week we ran that we had that story where a couple guys, a couple important people left Respawn to go start their own own smaller, more, you know, focused and controlled studio uh, separate from from Respawn because Respawn's kind of turning into what they were with with Infinity Ward, possibly even bigger because, you know, now they they've got this uh, the second studio in Southern California that Vince Zampella is overseeing, which I guess technically isn't Respawn. And then now they have this second studio in, in Vancouver that's covering Apex Legends. My guess is and I'm sure this is everyone's guess is basically this Vancouver team is going to exist to be like, hey, these are all the guys at, at Respawn that said, I want to just work on Apex indefinitely, plus new talent. And they're going to maintain that game and let that live and have legs and do its thing. Um, but for the rest of us here at Respawn, we never thought Apex Legends was going to become the only thing we did. And we want to go back to making you know one-off games and additional games that aren't just Apex Legends. So this allows the original Respawn team to kind of have the freed-up manpower and space and mindshare to go work on another project. So this is really exciting and for people like me who are praying to God we someday get a, a Titanfall 3, which is pretty much confirmed to have been canceled and probably never come back. But literally at this point, I just want anything from Respawn. I just want to see them make another first-person shooter. I just want to see what can happen when that amazing Respawn talent gets to work and says, this is our vision for a modern-day first-person shooter the way we got when we got Titanfall 2 because those guys just uh, they make magic when they make FPS uh, traditional FPS games, I should say. And uh, I, I want to see more of that. So hopefully this is a good sign for fans of the, of the of the studio looking for that. Other than that, I do worry about the studio. I worry that, you know, they're, they're getting too big. They're spraying too thin. How can Vince Zampella possibly look over this this much? You know, they uh, I don't know. Respawn hasn't given us a reason yet, you know, to distrust them. They've they've pulled it all off. They somehow went from making like the coolest first person shooter this generation to making the only cool battle royale game to making a really cool third person star Wars game. That's nothing like anything they've ever made before. So, uh, we should, we should, uh, have faith in these guys until they give us a reason not to trust them. So congrats to them. Um, hopefully this just frees up a lot of talent so that we can get a Titanfall three or similar in the future. So congrats to that new team and all the new jobs that creates good for you guys. Our next story here is a little, little, Pat on the back, a little quick one for Minecraft. Minecraft has been, of course, an utter sales juggernaut, selling over 122 million copies since February 2017. But now we got a little bit of a sales update from Microsoft this week. We now know that going from the 122 million copies sold since 2017, we are now at over 200 million copies sold here in May of 2020. Uh, so this even further solidifies Minecraft's position as the best-selling video game of all time. Suck it, Mario. 
suck at Angry Birds, with the only exception being Rockstar Games' uh, Grand Theft Auto V, which has uh, you know a, a, a total sales of 130 million copies sold. So that's obviously nothing to sneeze at. But Minecraft just continuing to be the biggest thing ever in the history of video games, um, which is cool. Microsoft used their fat cash to say, hey, that's uh, that's our thing now. So it just kind of, I don't know, Minecraft, it's one of those things, it's like it's like Disney owning Marvel or Star Wars where it's been long enough now that I don't like blink, I don't bat an eye at the fact that like Minecraft is Xbox the way it's like Iron Man is, is Mickey Mouse to me now, whatever. Uh, but anyway, to go on, you know, Mojang acquired, of course, Microsoft acquired them in 2014, but as part of all this celebration and their 11th uh, anniversary, uh, Mojang shared the news that they have uh, rebranded as Mojang Studios now. They've attached the word studios onto the end of their name, and uh, they've unified you know, the, the dual studios in Redmond, Washington, and Stockholm, Sweden to kind of be one. You know, it's one Mojang just kind of split between the U.S. and, the, and Sweden. Along with the news came um, the new logo, the new... Uh, studio logo and image they released a little trailer showing off what that looks like uh to better reflect the studio's increased focus on their shift towards doubling down on creativity and fun and whatnot they have a whole little video explaining all this and then mojang studios also plans to explore new game projects and open additional studios in new locations so this is the most interesting part of this you know aside from the fact that minecraft will sell more units than i'll ever have um, breaths in my pathetic life so yeah new locations that's an interesting one just because that means uh, that doesn't mean you know they need more people to help maintain minecraft that means they need more people to make new games and so when they say m- more games i think something along the lines of like minecraft dungeons which we're about to get they want to make more they want to take the minecraft ip and continue to explore different genres and different types of games and do one-offs like that um but who knows what that means I, does that mean Mo- mojang is potentially interested in making something that isn't in the Minecraft universe. Hear me out. My thing is that since the Microsoft acquisition, you know, at least the past few years, Minecraft has had a big focus on like, oh, well, it's a great way for kids to learn about level design. And there's like this Minecraft coding thing where kids can learn the basics of coding by playing Minecraft. And there's just so much educational application with with uh, Minecraft. And so I look at this and I don't necessarily see it as like, oh, well, maybe they're going to try to make uh, a new studio so they can make another game unrelated to Minecraft like I was just conjecturing about. Um, But maybe they're thinking about having additional studios to focus on Minecraft for school, Minecraft, you know, for education, kind of the way that, like, Microsoft focuses on, like, their Surface Go product to be like um, a Chromebook competitor for like the education market. And they try to, you know, make programs for offices and programs for school students and things like that. They could be looking at Minecraft as, you know, more than just a video game, but something that they can try to inject in the education sector more and try to sell more along with their, with their windows uh, software, um, you know, to different schools and be like, Hey, here are the, here are the reasons why you need to invest in our Minecraft software for, you know, kids in these different STEM classes because Minecraft is able to teach kids all about basic engineering and coding and design and, and, and uh, design principles and things like that. Because I think there's a lot of educational application there with Minecraft and Microsoft's really been trying to tap into it as of late. And to me, I just read this, you know, they said, you know, they said the whole point of this change was to reflect the studio's increased focus on creativity and fun. But so I, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of what 
Minecraft's always been, right? Creativity and fun. So it's not like they just came up with it. That's what the game's been for the 11 years it's been around. So to me, I'm like, okay, so what else are they trying to do with Minecraft? And I just think Microsoft wants to take Minecraft and go further with it. And yes, games like Minecraft Dungeons are an example of that. But I think also trying to find non-video game related applications for Minecraft is also an example of that. So that's why... I don't know. This is just my random hunch. This is just my uh, conjecture. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the not-too-distant future we see uh, a division of Mojang that's kind of dedicated to Minecraft for education. So who knows? I'm just uh, blowing smoke up your ass because that's what this podcast is all about. And then our next story here is that, again, from Windows Central. In a recent interview with uh, WCCF Tech, developers on next-gen uh, horror titles, Scorn, made some comments about the status of the next generation hardware. Uh, Ebb Software's game director, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this guy's name, Mr. Peklar, discussed many aspects of the upcoming first-person horror game, as well as what to expect from next-gen consoles. He basically says, uh, everyone is touting the SSD as the big thing, and yes, SSDs will help a lot with loading and moving assets, but the big culprit is actually creating problems in the current generation uh, is with the CPU. That's where our biggest next-gen differentiating uh, difference is compared to current generations. Um, we didn't want to bring scoring to current generation consoles because we want our next game to play at 60 FPS. That would be the close to impossible without big sacrifices. Next gen is all about responsiveness, smoothness, and a lot less wasting. Uh, the problem is that with these features is that they are not easy to sell in videos or screenshots. Microsoft had some messaging problems. People expected multi-million AAA productions, games to show off the next general, next generation visual aids, and most importantly, gameplay showcases. So this is a I'm actually having a revelation right now because I didn't read this quote before I put it in the news. I wanted to have an organic reaction to it. You can believe that or not, but I, this is uh, I'm having a little pat on the back moment here for myself because I think you know what he's saying is kind of what I was just saying about Assassin's Creed, which is that these next generation consoles are about using the power how you want to use them, and so they're choosing to do 30 FPS on a game like Assassin's Creed so they can say, "Hey, look how pretty and sexy next generation looks." Whereas you know these guys making the scorn are saying, "No, no, 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 guys." It's not about making the game just look as sexy as possible. It's about utilizing that CPU to get 60 FPS, to make it run and play and be smoother and more realistic than ever before. So yeah, visuals are nice, but let's make the game run and perform in way games have never, you know, done before, rather than just making them even prettier than they already are, you know? And uh, I agree with that. This this makes sense for a game like Scorn. It's a horror game. It's a very gamer focused game so i think focusing on something like 60 fps is very uh suitable and it, and it makes a lot of sense for a game like this whereas assassin's creed is a game that's got to appeal to everyone you know it's got to appeal from everyone from uh you know the kids in middle school bragging about who fucked your mom on xbox live all the way down to uh you know the the guy who only plays madden call of duty once a year and with the rare exception of assassin's creed it's just a big market so you want a game like that to just have the Ooh, pretty graphics appeal, whereas this game has more of the uh, benefit of getting to indulge in those nerdy things like 60 FPS because gamers want horror games and horror game enthusiasts want, you know, new tech. It's just, I, I think the genre and the type of game just caters more to that audience. So this is a better example of, I think, where we're going to see these kinds of games go moving deeper into the generation. That's why, again, I'm just not too faced by the whole Assassin's Creed game, but I see this story as a kind of a 
a backing of of that point made earlier in the show. Uh, aside from that, yeah, this is also interesting just because a lot of people are saying, don't underestimate this, uh, ex- this really interesting SSD tech in the PS5 that the Xbox Series X doesn't have. I know the Series X has uh, you know, a much better CPU, but that SSD that Sony developed for the PS5, it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a game changer. Watch out for it. And I, and I'm not gonna lie, I've I'm following culprit to you know thinking that maybe some Xbox people are being a little a little dismissive of this SSD in the PS5. And I think you know we gotta wait and see what it's all about before we go writing off which one's just definitively better. But of course, at the end of the day, between Sony's improved SSD and Microsoft's uh, superior CPU, really all that matters is how good are the games. You know how fun are the games. And I think both consoles will be exceedingly awesome in terms of great games. So, console wars over. And then our as we um, as we get into our wrap up stories. Holy shit, we had a lot of news this week. Sorry guys. As we get into some wrap up stories, we got that uh, the studio director for Bioware Austin, uh, Christian Daly, uh, has discussed that the Anthem revival is now is it, or he he took to the Bioware blog to deform how to discuss how the Anthem. Um, revival project is is going and, and kind of the expectations and the experimenting with certain features pertaining to that project. He says, quote, the Anthem incubation team has kicked off. We are starting to validate our design hypothesis. Incubation is a term we use internally. It essentially means that we are going back and experimenting, prototyping, improving in areas that we believe fell short of leveraging everything you love about uh, current Anthem. We are a small team, about 30-ish, earning our way forward, and we set out to hit our first major milestone goals. Spoiler, this is going to be a long process, and yes, our team is small, but the whole point of this is to take our time and go back to the drawing board, and our small team gives us the agility a larger team cannot afford. We really want this experience to be different from for the team and our players, but we know that we have some tough challenges to tackle. We want to include you as we go along uh, and to be open and honest with where we are and what the expectations are and where we are going. The reality is that you will see things that look awesome but end up on the cutting room floor or things that you might think suck that you feel we are spending too much time on. We have a great studio here in Austin working on Anthem and other cool projects, end quote. So obviously we won't hear or see anything about this for a very long time. Keep that in mind. But this is very interesting that they're basically just saying, you know, that Anthem is just going to become this basically early access game for the foreseeable future while they just kind of rebuild it and rework it slowly. The The bigger interest to me is that, you know, Xbox One and PS4 generation is over, basically. You know, what are you going to do? I know EA's already been the first developer or the first publisher, rather, to be like, hey, we're not really promoting we're not really backing the smart delivery thing so what is their plan for people who bought anthem on xbox one you know a year or two ago and are going to be playing series x you know in next year or two years or whenever this comes out whenever all this updating is done and say yeah i mean i know i can play my xbox one games on my series x but meh it's it's a last generation game i've moved on you know it's like what are you what are you doing at that point are you going to rebuild all this for the series x are you gonna have some crazy series x patches to make the game look and run better like what is gonna be the deal like why are they why are they insisting on doubling down on this game and rebuilding all this stuff when by the time it's finally out you know bioware will be in such a different place probably working on a new mass effect or dragon age game and and the xbox will be in a different place and gaming will be in a different place and will be so far past anthem it's just I don't know. Even though, you know, I went back, I finally gave Anthem a try, and I told you I liked it. I played a couple hours of it. It was a good game. 
I just don't see what the point in trying to revive this project is. It feels like, you know, a game that's they wanted to be a persistent game, but it kind of died. Its audience is gone. And by trying to go back and, and fix this, I think they're just spending a lot of money that might jeopardize the future of Bioware, you know, because this is what EA does. EA, EA, uh, they basically say you, you fuck up once or you take too long or, you know, you're on the chopping block. And Bioware, I don't think EA wants to get rid of Bioware. They are too valuable a studio, but allowing them to just continue to fuck around with Anthem while the rest of the world is so far beyond where this game was is, in my opinion, a mistake. And I worry how they're going to get people who are now gaming on Xbox Series X and PS5 to turn around and say, oh, yeah, we'll come back to Anthem, that Xbox One game that, you know, had a lot of issues at the gate um, and give that another try. I, I think they're better off just, you know, cutting their losses and moving on. But nonetheless, they are they are moving on. And at the very least, I can uh, I can respect I can respect their determination and their um, their insistence on trying to make good on on for whatever reason was apparently a bad thing. I don't still not quite sure why people hate Anthem. I it, It's not an awful game. It's just um, I don't know. That whole story just totally behooves me. I've never seen anything like that in all of the gaming sphere ever. And it's uh, it's just crazy. And it's crazy that someone like EA of all, you know, of all of all the publishers in the world would fund it. But I guess if anyone has the money, you know, it's someone like them. All right. So our wrap up stories here, we've got two of them left. We've got this is actually a pretty sad one as well. We've got, while many online services and platforms have been seeing record-setting engagement numbers since the uh, tangible effects of COVID-19 have begun to take over the world, unfortunately, Microsoft's streaming service Mixer has not been one of those platforms. In fact, considering the massive efforts made by Microsoft in the last year to draw attention to the platform, it's pretty worrisome just how poorly the service is doing. As relayed from Windows Central, a recent report from Stream Elements detailed just how Various platforms such as Facebook Gaming, YouTube Gaming, Twitch, and others have reportedly uh, been doing uh, tripling figures year over year, owing it in part to the pandemic. One very notable elephant in the room, of course, though, has been Mixer, which has remained tragically flat in terms of uh, in terms of use. So it's this little chart that shows Twitch, YouTube Gaming, Facebook Gaming, Mixer, and industry growth in general. This is really sad because obviously you expect Twitch to be at the top, and it doesn't shock me that YouTube Gaming is in number two just because you know, the biggest names in like the games industry or like in streaming and content creation, the games space is all on YouTube. So it makes sense that those people are able to use their massive audiences to just keep them on that platform they're already on and stream gaming from there. Um, but the fact that Mixer hasn't even been able to take over Facebook gaming is really concerning. And so we have these numbers from this time last year where Mixer's engagement numbers was 37 million users and then we look at April 2020, and it's still 37 million users. It's it's gone up by 0.2 percent. It's gone up by like almost no one, like a couple tens of thousands, like ha- half a like 50,000 users. It's gone up, which is terrifying when you consider that one, this pandemic has been surging numbers for everyone else, and two, they spent all that money trying to get you know um, all those like Ninja and all those other streamers to jump ship from Twitch and come over to Mixer. Meanwhile, you know, on Twitch, the biggest streaming platform in April of last year, they they were reporting uh, 750 to 819 million users in that month in terms of, or sorry, this, this is hours watch. I'm, I'm sorry. I've been reading this wrong hours watch 750 to 18, 819 million hours watched. Uh, whereas in this April, this past April last month, uh, they reported uh, 1.491 billion hours watched, which is a 101% growth. 
or 98 to 101% growth, whereas Mixer has only had that 0.2% growth. So YouTube gaming had a 65% growth. Facebook gaming had a 238% growth, going from 86 million hours to 291 million hours watched. And then Mixer just boom, flatline. So the industry, the streaming service industry as a whole has seen a 99% industry growth. The only exception being Mixer. And so that is a massively concerning fact. We already know that, you know, Mixer people have been, you know, apparently the work culture hasn't been great there and they've just been having issues just trying to retain people. So this is, this is a, this is, this is like the writing on the wall. And, and the reason why this is extra concerning is Mixer is a Microsoft service. And if you know anything about Microsoft, it's that once something stops doing well, Microsoft just neglects it and then kills it. You know, this happened with, with Zoom. This happened with Groove Music. This happened with Windows Phone. This happens with so many things that Microsoft does. Basically, they put it out there. They put like half the effort in. They kind of like let it just kind of squander out there. And then sometimes they'll inject a little bit of life into it, which I think that attempt was getting, you know, those, those people like, ninja to come over to mixer and then if that doesn't do the trick they let it like float around for a year or so and then cut the cord and let it go so i'm not trying to be so dire about this but i would not be surprised if by the end of 2020 mixer is just not a thing you know i would not be surprised if mixer is like barely a part of the xbox series x experience and then it's just kind of gone without you know you know this is a it's it's one of those things i think microsoft's going to try to get away from it and then they're just going to embrace twitch this is always what they do you know they they ditched groove music and then they just sold it all off all of the uh, technology and the assets off to spotify and said hey you're all spotify users now you know they sold off they, so, they broke apart nokia they got rid of windows phone and they said go buy an android phone they uh this is this is microsoft this is what they do they allow things to just kind of prematurely cut the cord they rather than taking the time to figure out what do we need to do to fix mixer and to get it on track they're going to just say hey let's just let it let's just let it kind of do its thing oh it's not working it's not working boom kill it and it's a really quite a shame because i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie i don't use a lot of streaming services i've thought on multiple occasions you know i really need to try to get into streaming doing it myself i used to try to do it a little bit on twitch a few years ago uh, i have a mixer account that i just don't use, but sometimes I watch, you know, streams and I got to be honest, Twitch, Twitch is the best just because it has the most support. That's the only reason why Twitch is the best. I use Mixer. I make a conscious effort. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, if Twitch is Google Mixer's Bing, I, I make the conscious effort to try and support Mixer as much as I can. So on the rare occasion when I watch where I go, Oh, you know, this game is interesting. Let me go see who's streaming in it. Kind of what it looks like. I'll always support Mixer. I'll always watch Mixer to try and just give them that extra support and that extra little boost there. But dude, here's the thing about Mixer. It's like no one's on it. The most popular streamer, unless Ninja's on, it's like the most popular streamer's got like 3,000 viewers, like 500 to 3,000 viewers. It's it's terrifyingly low, the number of people watching on that, on that service and streaming on that service. And it's just... Uh, it's really an unfortunate thing because when you really think about all the features of Mixer, you know, again, I, I don't use these services too much. So I could be, this could be coming from a severe place of ignorance, but like Mixer seems like it's a pretty robust place. It has a lot of like meta little uh, mechanics and 
to it where you can level up and and get all these little things that you can add in the chat. And just I feel like there's a lot of engagement for the viewers so that, you know, that more passive experience of viewing becomes a more active experience. You know, it goes beyond just the chat component. I feel like there's just a lot of elements there to encourage people to keep watching, to keep engaging. And I feel like Mixer just it's done a good job of making a positive community and, and building community and and where you see like you know mixer partnered streamers it just seems like those people really love mixer like it's the only platform they'd use and it's it's that microsoft effect i'm telling you man like this mixer will not be here in five five to ten months i'm telling you microsoft is going to pull the plug on this service rather than double down on it and try to figure out a solution you know they they injected it with steroids for a second they said oh we'll get um we'll get uh ninja and whatever that other guy's name is and we'll get them on mixer boom done fix everything and you know just bringing ninja over from twitch to mixer wasn't enough to do it all it was a good way to get attention and momentum but they didn't stick with that momentum and build build it they just kind of let it fall flat and uh, unfortunately i think mixer's really going to pay the price for it and uh this is going to be one of those things dude it's like in three years from now i'm i'm you know i'm i'm one of those people that just bitches and moans to this day about how you know i have an iphone i have an android and i like them both but i kind of hate them both and really at the end of the day i'm just looking for a a, a windows phone and there's going to be streamers like this you mark my fucking words and in two years you're going to see you know some some like locally famous mixer user on twitch and he's gonna be streaming and one of his old old timey subscribers is gonna be like dude remember mixer he's gonna be like yeah i miss mixer oh man twitch is great it's just not the same those were the days mixer and then he's gonna have to pour one out and he's probably gonna deal with severe depression because microsoft ripped the thing he loved away from his life and this is this is the microsoft effect this is why we're slaves to this company because they they build things that are beautiful they don't support them and then they take them away from us but I guess this turned into more of a rant of my uh, concern for Microsoft's, you know, lack of support on their services. But uh, yeah, I think I think this is the beginning of the end for for Mixer. And if you're a fan of it, let me know what you think. I, I I'm sure I have the least amount of experience with streaming services of anyone you know, involved with the show. If you're listening to the show, you probably know much more about these things than I do. So chime in with anything, you know, anything you think or feel about this story, but this is just a, a really sad one to me because I don't even know how you argue with these numbers. You know, the next to mixer, the, the worst performing service was YouTube gaming, which saw a 65% year over year growth, which is incredible. It's massive. It's so good. And then mixer had a 0.2% growth. You cannot even begin to explain that deficit in growth. You know, that's that's Microsoft's fault. That is 100% Microsoft not really getting like rolling up their sleeves and figuring out what the fuck they need to do to get Mixer to grow. That is that is like the number one indicator of severe neglect. And uh, welcome to the Windows Phone fan club. All right. So our, our, our last story here is that System Shock 3 is now now long and developed game uh, has has been has been given some new funding from a new studio. Things are shaken up a bit. So it's a little quick one. We've got developer other side entertainment uh, have announced that they are now receiving funding from Chinese conglomerate Tencent. And according to some reporting from VGC, it appears that Tencent now owns the System Shock 3 website. The, a, uh, a quote a quoted tweet from uh, from the company says that we are happy to announce that Tencent will be taking the System Shock franchise forward. 
Uh, as a smaller indie studio, it has been challenging for us to carry the project on our own, and we believe that Tencent de- Tencent's deep capabilities and expertise as a leading uh, game company will bring the franchise to new heights. Previously, in 2020, there were layoffs reported at Other Side Entertainment, uh, with several developers leaving the company. Other Side Entertainment was founded in 2013 by Paul uh, Nurath, the co-founder of Looking Glass Studios, the studio behind System Shock, and often credited with the birth of the immersive uh, sim genre, and then you know eventually system shock led to bioshock so a very important game from a historical standpoint um but this is one of those uh concerning stories where there goes tencent throwing their uh their little uh, shady money into all these western studios and just making me a little nervous uh, because i don't like this idea of them just kind of overnight slowly just taking over the games industry but here they are reaching further into pockets They've been doing this with Platinum. They completely own uh, League of Legends now. They just, they've been throwing their money everywhere. It's just a creepy little shady situation going on. But nonetheless, just uh, have to report the latest victim in the Tencent Chinese overtake of the games industry. Just again, I, I don't blame you. You know, obviously this game's been in trouble. There's been layoffs. The game's been in development for way too long. They've been ultra quiet about what's happening with it. So clearly... They're in they're in trouble and that's why they took the money from Tencent. But at the same time, I don't I just don't know how I feel about you know, it's it's not like it's not like a xenophobia or, or racism towards the you know, China. It's the fact that China uses their economic power to just control the messaging and, and censor things from the world and that's so fucked up. You know, the fact that the fact that China has the ability to be like, hey, here's a bunch of money. We're going to support your thing. And also, we want you to change this and this and this because fuck Taiwan and we don't want our people to know about this and we want to make this person seem like a better person than they are. And it's just like that kind of shit, you know, like the Top Gun reboot or whatever that whole story is where they had to change the patch of the Taiwanese flag on the guy's jacket uh, because China was like, hey, we're not going to play this movie in our country if you represent Taiwan because Taiwan's not an individual. They're not an independent country. They're China. It's like that kind of shit where it's like you try to you try to control the art and and keep people ignorant and just can, you know, try to push your agenda and your bullshit. You know, I don't give a shit. China can be a communist nation and do their own fucking weird thing. That's fine. But keep it in your borders. Like, do not go. And, like, impede on other people's shit. Like, I I feel so uncomfortable when China does this about anything. Like, the fact, like, the whole famous Iron Man 3 thing where, like, Iron Man 3 was basically made for the Chinese market. And Disney basically bent the knee with Marvel to allow allow China to basically say, hey, we need this, we need this, you can't show this. And they basically curated that movie for the Chinese market. And I'm just like... What the fuck are you like make your goddamn movie and then tell China if you want the fucking movie you'll take it and if you don't want it then you don't want it like it's our movie we're making the movie we want and it just makes me so deeply uncomfortable the way these Chinese companies are able to use like their large sums of money to control the actions and the mindset of creatives and that's really all this is about I don't I don't give a shit if people think that sounds like xenophobic or whatever it's it's just straight up like you shouldn't have weird foreign policies impacting creators' art. It's just weird. And there's nothing about this in story that this story here that inherently says that that's the case, but we just see so many examples of that 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 I always just get a little apprehensive about what that means. But you know, Tencent hasn't really given us any reason to believe that's the kind of shit they're after, but the fact that they're using their endless amounts of money to just throw 
support money at everyone from like Bungie to beyond. It's just like, you know, someday, someday they're just going to flip the switch and Microsoft, all of a sudden we're going to turn on the Xbox and it's just going to be fucking a Chinese controlled console. And we're going to be like, what happened to Microsoft? And they're going to be like, eh, whatever. But on, on the other side, you know, if someone was throwing a bunch of money in my face and saying, hey, we'll, uh, we'll fund you. You just got to take our CD Chinese money. I'd be like, meh. I'm, I'll be a sellout, you know, I'll be a sellout for a couple million dollars. So what the fuck do I really know? I'm just a, I, I'm a hypocrite. And that's going to do it for all of our news this week. We got our little, little uh, important news stories, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not big enough for their own discussion. So we've got a couple of those little one sentence ones here. We got that Remedy Entertainment uh, has revealed that Alan Wake will be coming to Xbox Game Pass on May 21st, which at the time of this recording means, th- or which means that once this podcast goes live, you'll already be able to download it. Also releasing on Game Pass this week uh, is the newly released Golf with Your Friends, a new arcade mini golf adventure. So don't sleep on this one. It actually looks pretty, pretty fun. Uh, we also got here that Moon Studios has released a patch for Ori and the Will of the Wisps that improves the HDR support for Xbox One and also adds HDR support altogether for the PC version. Additionally, we have here that Capcom has updated the list of platinum titles, games that have sold over a million copies. While it's important to note that all of these have been updated as of March uh, 31st, the results are somewhat outdated because April and May aren't accounted. But Monster Hunter World has now reached over 15.7 million, million units sold, up from 15 million sold earlier in the year. Resident Evil 7 Biohazard has hit the 7.5 million copies sold. Resident Evil 2 from last year reached 6.2 million copies sold. Devil May Cry 5 has hit 3.5 5 million sold, uh, meaning that Capcom is doing quite well and they are very healthy financially. And while this isn't from the list itself, Capcom has separately confirmed Resident Evil 3, which was recently released, has already hit 2.5 million copies sold uh, from the 2 million units that they marked like right after the game release. So really good numbers all around. Capcom is in great health and pretty well deserved. You know, I've been playing a lot of Capcom lately. The studio has really kind of gotten out of the dark ages and gone back to being one of the premier Japanese game developers. And I'm really quite happy with it and really excited for just whatever they're working on in general, because they've really earned the dollars and the time spent, you know, on these games. So congrats to Capcom. That's just a little side note. And then our last one here is that on September 25th of the year, Port Royal Four, the latest entry in the long dormant pirate merchant city building strategy game will come to the Xbox one and PC. So that is going to do it for all of our news this week. Thank you guys so much for sticking through the end. Uh, of course, we got to go through the new games coming out this week, of which there are 10, 10 new releases uh, coming to the Xbox One. And as tradition dictates, I will not tell you the name. I will not read to you the description of the game. I will just read to you the name of the game and then infer what the game is about based solely off of the one screenshot provided uh, via XboxWire.com. So, Bullet Beat is our first game here. This is a game all about uh, a bunch of pills. It's about the it's it's about the concept of the red pill. You may have heard of it before. So your objective here is to either collect the red pills and consume them, which would likely result in an overdose, or you can slash them all like like a ninja. So it's some kind of hybrid between like Dr. Mario, Fruit Ninja, and just drug overdose. So I assume there's a really deep story here about uh, about drug control and uh, just uh, probably drug trafficking and things like that. Um, but Bullet Beat, it is definitely uh, it probably related to the Mario character Bullet Bill. Uh, and this is just what happens when you get annexed from the Nintendo universe. Uh, next game here is called A Fold Apart. It is a really hard to play game because you got like this starry night and then you've got like this platforming looking little, little indie artsy cute game here, but it is folded in half like a paper. So you can't really understand where 
where you're going because you might be like walking along the path and then you jump and then you end up on a folded half of another paper, which really fucks things up because since you can't see what's on the other half of the paper since it's folded, you might be falling down a cliff. So huge gameplay or game development flaw here. They didn't really think about the fact that they should develop the second half of the screen, but I do understand they were going for style over substance. And so that's a game that you can enjoy the look of, but you'll probably be really frustrated playing. Our next game here is called Golf with Your Friends, which I said is on Game Pass. Definitely check it out if you like uh, arcadey golf, mini golf games. I definitely am interested in that one. Uh, then we got Concept Destruction, which is a game about like paper cars and little toy cars and kind of doing like a destruction game. You do, it's like burnout, but here's the thing is all the cars are paper. So when you mash them together, rather than, you know, crashing and, and, and explosions and, and metal and all these things smashing together, you just have paper kind of folding onto it. And so I don't have anything funny to say about the game itself. I think this is actually quite ingenious. It makes me wonder, why isn't Ford and General Motors and Honda and all these big car manufacturers taking advantage of this revolutionary approach to car design? If you just make the cars out of cardboard and paper, no one will get hurt when they crash because they'll just crush up like paper. It won't be metal on metal and airbags and machinery and mechanics and gasoline and explosion, combustible and combustible engines. It will be paper. It's really quite the, the safest and smartest way to build a car. So honestly, shout out to the developers behind Concept Destruction. I think they've made not only a great game here, but possibly the most you know, revolutionary in innovation in the automotive industry. And I think Tesla kind of looks stupid by chasing the whole electric car thing when they should be chasing the paper car thing, because these look extraordinarily safe. Uh, I would not mind getting an accident in a paper car because I just, I mean, what, what's worse, you know, smashing into a, a heavy metal machine with a exploding engine in it or falling on a stack of papers. So ingenious uh definitely gotta check that out just for the the sheer innovation of it all and then we got man eater as our next game which is a game where you play as a shark presumably his name is man eater which is i i don't know what that's you know i don't know if this is like some sexual innuendo i don't know if this is some kind of game where you play as a fish whore and you go around the ocean taking money in exchange for salty fishy favors so Presumably, this is a, a fish prostitution game, which I don't condone, but if you're interested in that kind of thing, this is a game where you get to play as a shark and have sex with other fish, and it is called Maneater. Uh, our next game here is called Monstrum. It is a very dark image of some, like, boiler room. It's a very stupid, very stupid image. If this is how you're going to sell your game, you're going to say, hey, guys, I got a picture of a, of a boiler room. Come and play. So fuck you. That's a stupid game. Then we got The Persistence. This is a game where you have this Cortana knockoff who has like this energy beam blasting through her chest and her chest is exposed and you see like her guts pouring out and she's got her mouth open like, oh my God, what's happening to me? And I'm just here like, no shit, you're getting blasted to death. That's why That's why you're freaking out here. But it's just, it's kind of a, really it's kind of a violent game because I don't understand why this woman thought, because judging by the flow of the beam, it looks kind of like the beam is coming from her chest but also going into her chest. So my only guess here is that this woman has the ability to emit gigantic lasers from her chest cavity and shoot it at her enemies. But what the stupid idiot here didn't consider is the fact that if you shoot these giant lasers out of your chest to destroy your enemies, you'll also destroy yourself because the lasers are going through your body. So 
think think twice. It's like it's like a it's like one of those bees that can only sting. You know, if it stings its enemy, it will die because if it stings too many times, it just dies for whatever reason. It's like sure you got powerful lasers, but why are you going to use them if it's going to risk your life? So this is a stupid person who clearly deserved to die because she decided to use her self-destruct feature and we don't even see where the laser's going so we don't even know that she's attacking an enemy for all we know she got startled by the fucking mailman and now she's just obliterating the mailman as well as herself this is just nonsense to me but that's that game if you want to if you want to go play the persistence more like the persistence of being stupid saints row the third remasters our next game this is a game where you're allowed to play as a furry there's literally a furry i think his name is dead mouse and he's on a furry four-wheel that also looks like a dead mouse uh, four-wheeler. So this is like Grand Theft Auto for furries, which I assume is a very lucrative idea, and I wish I thought of it myself. It's Xbox One X Enhanced BT Dubs. We got Soko Bunny. This is a knockoff of a top-down puzzle league gamer that looks really uninteresting. And then we got the Taller I Grow, which is, despite the name, not a uh, not a penis reference. It is a some kind of Box Boy knockoff game. Um, if you play Box Boy on the 3DS, it's a fantastic little game from the creators of Kirby. Uh, but this is a, a knockoff to... to to box boy and it is an xbox play anywhere game so i assume you can play it in the same place you would play uh box boy which in that case you should just play box boy so that's all of our games for the week thank you for listening to that uh as a reminder we do have our games of gold you got v rally 4 for the rest of the month you got warhammer 40k inquisitor until june 15th then you got sensible world of of, of soccer Ha, you missed it. It stopped on the 15th, you idiot. You can't get that one anymore. Then you got Overlord 2, which you got until the 31st. So go ahead and download Overlord 2. You're not an idiot if you don't have that one because that one's simply not out. And then with that, I will say so much for my attempt to keep the shows at the hour mark or less. Fuck me, I guess. This is one of the longest ones we've done in a long time. So I I guess um, the show's going to be as long as it's going to be and you're just going to have to deal with it. Worst case scenario, you don't listen to my podcast and I'm just wasting my time making it. But also with that said, please do be sure to reach out to me in my DMs on various social media platforms. Tell me how I'm doing. Give me that constructive feedback. But when it comes to the, the to the actual reviews, the iTunes reviews, the Google Play reviews, I don't know if Spotify does reviews, but anywhere you can review a podcast, go ahead and just give me an arbitrary five stars. Say, I like how this guy says some xenophobic shit about China on his podcast, but I'm supposed to just hear about Xbox. I like that he uses his platform about video games, a hobby we all enjoy, to just get on his political tirade and just talk about what he believes and why uh, you're an evil person for going outside right now to shop for non-essential items. And uh, this is is a podcast about Xbox first and foremost, but it's also a podcast about what I believe and forcing those views onto you, the listener. So if you don't walk away from this podcast believing what I, everything I say is true and agreeing with everything I had to say, then you're an ignorant dumbass and you're frankly wasting your time. But do go ahead and give me those five-star reviews. Follow me on Instagram at jesse underscore DeRosa. I'm posting some excellent stories about literally nonsense. And I will see you all next week for episode 51 of Xbox On. Eric, come on. Play us out. Play us out.